Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. It's been a long time, it feels like, since we last recorded, but we are back with another episode and we are recording on a Saturday this time uh, following the Europa League victory over Slavia Prague. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr Grayson. Hello, Mr Dow. And I'm very excited to talk about everything with you today because it's uh, it does feel like a long time since we last recorded. It does. It does. We've scored uh, eight goals, three games, Europa progression, points in the Premier League. This is going to be um, more fun than the last one we did. Yes, the last one was uh, was morbid to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Moribund. <laughs> what a word. <laughs> Is that taken straight from Alan Partridge? Straight from Alan himself. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable reference. Um, but uh, that will be lost on most of our listeners, I'm sure. But never mind. Uh, right, before we get started, we are going to do our weekly commentary quiz. A quiz where we both select a piece of commentary and the other person has to try and guess which goal we are talking about. So I think I'm going to go first this week. Um, now... I hadn't prepared anything this morning when I texted you to say, are we doing it? So I had to have a mad rush and I, I must have looked at my phone for half an hour trying to find one that I was <laughs> confident that we hadn't done before. And two, I thought there was a chance you'd get because some of the ones I was looking at, I was just like, I, w- I wouldn't get that. So I, I, I can't imagine Andre's going to get that. So I need to try and find something that's a bit more fair. So okay. I found one, I think, no pressure. Um, it is a difficult oh, no. one, but I think uh, I've got the utmost faith in you. Okay. So, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, ready. Okay. Here is Diaby. Oh, that's a lovely ball through and a chance, and it's the first goal. <sighs> Diaby playing a through ball for a first chance. Okay, all right. Hmm. I feel like, was it? Lucas Podolski at Anfield? No, it wasn't. That was, it was a good effort, but it was not Lucas Podolski. <laughs> have I hit the post or, or have I gone wide? Uh, you've gone wide. Um, right. So I'll, I'll, I'll read it again. I'll try and I'll slow it down a bit and I'll add a little bit onto the end, which I think will, will, will clinch it for you. Okay. So here is Diaby. Oh, that's a lovely ball through and a chance. And it's the first goal, Walcott the scorer. Oh, oh very good, Tom. That's uh, his chip uh, against Villarreal, yeah? No. <laughs> no, no, I thought it was so clever. And you were so clever. But no, neither of us are clever. Uh, okay, DRB played through. Oh, is that Walcott in the League Cup final? It is Walcott in the League Cup final, <laughs> yes. Very good. <laughs> uh, timely as well, timely as well. Very good. Oh, do you know that's one of the hardest games to 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 reminisce about because what what we'd have given what it would have meant beating Chelsea at that time with that young team i mean i think one of the things i always take from that final is what a man arsen wenger was for sticking with the players that got him there you really wouldn't see that from many others and it's easy now to reflect and say that was wrong because we had a subsequent trophy drought but those values I just love. He just, he believed in them so much. And, you know, it's such a shame because he almost believed in them too much, particularly that crop of players. Or, you know, if you believe everything he says now, he couldn't do anything. But that final, when Walcott scored, was unbelievable. And what we'd have given to hold out. But that prick up front, I hate him. Um, ruined it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, that was the first example of Arsenal kicking racism out of football. So uh, that, that 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 does transpire very nicely into the uh, <laughs> in, in into the podcast today with Slavia Prague in mind. But obviously, that was DRB uh, booting John Terry um, out of the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my memories of that is uh, I, I was at the game with my dad and okay. it, w- it was one that I I was not meant to go to because I actually had glandular fever at the time <laughs> and my mum was not, a f- obviously she said, no, Tom's definitely not going. My- and my dad was just like, oh, he'll be fine. What's the worst that can happen? And I was ill for a further three weeks after the cup final. <laughs> 
Yeah, worth it though. Worth it. It, it was. It was great. Uh, obviously, the the drive down to Cardiff. All all of the talk was about whether we were going to play a strong uh, our strongest side or whether it was going to be the kids. Um, and obviously, like you said, it was somewhat somewhat poetic and somewhat typical arson to to stick with the side that got him there. Um, but absolutely heartbreaking for my my sixteen year old self. Uh, really struggled to uh, compartmentalize anything about that day. But it was. Uh, yeah, a really, a really amazing experience. But I have got a horrific record for the League Cup. I've been at that one, the Birmingham one, and the Man City one, and we've lost all of them. So maybe I should just stop going to League Cup finals. Yeah, I'd, I'd like that. I'd like that. I'd never really. I know at some point everything comes up. I'd never really like to talk about the Birmingham one. Um, no, I'll just. So I, I watch this. Um, gosh, at someone's house. Um, Nothing special, but the reason I wasn't watching it with my dad is he was there and he got uh, the supporters club had managed to get him and a couple of others tickets in the Carling suite. So Carling gave the tickets, but of course you had to be over 18, which I wasn't. So I got left left at home in every sense. (laughs) I didn't even make the trip. Um, So I was thoroughly miserable that I didn't get to go. And then... Thoroughly miserable we lost, but uh, never mind. We'll get a League Cup at some point, I'm sure. At, at some point. It's one of those ones as well. I'm desperate for Arsenal to win it, just because, obviously, the last time we won it was in 93, and I was way too young to remember that. And I just would like to experience Arsenal win that trophy, because it's the, the one domestic trophy that we've not won, really, during my time supporting Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd love, it, love it to happen at some point. But anyway... Here is Diaby. What's up with ball through in a chance and it's the first goal! Walcott has scored his first ever goal for Arsenal and what a day to get it! I might be stating the obvious, but it's been coming since the first whistle. This side have a confidence. Nice, nice goal. Horrible memory, but uh, <laughs> I am yeah. ready. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to do an impression of a commentator, which which you'll get because um, I'm going to need to change my tone. Okay. Okay. Two nil to Arsenal. Absolutely magnificent. And this guy's reputation is growing every time he plays. No, it's a bit Alan Hansen. It's 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 meant to be Andy Gray. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've got no idea at this stage, but uh, okay, okay. Uh, two two nil to Arsenal. Two nil to Arsenal. Absolutely magnificent. <clears throat> Imagine in Scottish, and this guy's reputation is growing every time he plays. It's another. It's another beautiful, flowing Arsenal move. So so pleasing on the eye. I've got no idea at this stage. This is uh, this is poor from me, and I. I oh. Well, there's not much in there, but I. I um. Okay, let me just try again. It's uh, okay. <laughs> I might. I reckon. Do... I recognise the commentary, but I just. I just can't for the life of me picture what it is. Okay, two 0 to Arsenal. Okay, so there's your clue. I'll, I'll just tell yeah. you, we were away from home. Okay. Absolutely magnificent, uh, and then they show a clip of the goal. Which is a, a left-footed, hooked finish, uh, and this guy's reputation is growing every time he plays. It's another beautiful flow. No, I can't do it. Beautiful flowing Arsenal move. So so pleasing on the eye. Okay, would you like a clue? I'd like a clue. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of an overhead kick um, type goal, but more from a side angle. There's a cross, and it's sort of. Um, it goes to the back post and then someone puts it back across and it loops up in the air. Uh, this player takes a touch and then uses it like sort of with his back to goal and then sort of does a turn with his left foot, jumps up, volleys it in. Um, the away fans are at the other end. Um, the team we're playing, it's up north against a team we would never beat now. Is it Eduardo? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Against Man City in uh, 0708. That's that. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh. 
so glad I got there in the end. Uh, I, honestly, I just couldn't think for the life of me. My mind went completely blank. Um, just, it's one of those, oh. you either know that commentary, and I, I figured it's a goal you'd have watched a, long, a lot of times that you might yes. just, <laughs> that you'd have just picked up. But, I mean, what a goal. What a I mean, player! The, the description of uh, of the finish was uh, expert, by the way, and that's uh, that's what clinched it. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, what a, what a goal! And I, that was a moment, particularly when we got the third in that game to make it to make it three one. That was the game that I I thought we were going to go on and win the title that year. Um, and it's just heartbreaking, obviously, what happened to Birmingham to Eduardo, and then the subsequent collapse in our running. Um, I've looked at the, the table since then and I've looked at like Premier League years and things and we wouldn't have even had to have had a particularly solid run-in to have won the title because we were, despite how disastrous our finish to that campaign was, we were still not that far off by the end of the season. So we wouldn't have had to play that well <laughs> and do that much better to have uh, to have really won the title that year. But, yeah. um, do you know, oh, one of the things... Yeah, one of the things I'd love to do with you, and this is this is an off-air discussion online, but in the summer when there's no games going on, sort of news, we've got to go through some seasons where things like that happened and sort of go, look back because my memories of those see that season, uh, they're so vivid that they're, they're yeah. more vivid than they should be, particularly that one, and you know so many pain points. But it just reminded me because it it popped up on our Twitter timeline and. Uh, I saw that goal, and I, again, like you, I just remember how good that felt. It was a, a real coming-of-age performance. I, I know it didn't mean it, but at the time, that's how it felt, to go somewhere like City, and they they had had some investment. They were a tough team to go and beat. We just beat them at a canter, three top finishes. You know, it's one of those where it's not like we dominated, but we took our chances, went home with three points, and, uh, yeah, it felt... Uh, Felt like that was going to be uh, going to be our year, but not to be, not to be. Yeah, yeah, really, it really hurt that year. I, I think that's a great idea for the summer as well. Um, but uh, that that was a particularly painful season. If you think about what happened in the Champions League when we got, and then we obviously when we got demolished against uh, Man United in the FA Cup and Tottenham in the uh, in the League Cup. Uh, it's oh. a season. That, it's a season that promised so much that uh, delivered ultimately nothing, which. Um, and then obviously saw that team be completely disbanded in the summer after that, which was uh, which was pretty heartbreaking as well with uh, some key departures. But yeah, well, I wonder whether you've just set up a segue, a season that promised so much, delivered so little, and then was broken up in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I, have. I have, I have. Oh, right. Should we get on to uh, talking about everything else? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so obviously, since the last time we recorded, we have spoken, uh, we've not spoken about either leg of the Europa League and we've not spoken about the Sheffield United game either. So, we're going to talk first of all about the Europa League tie um, against Slavia Prague, which obviously the first leg ended 1 1. And I think it's fair to say that everyone was uh, very disappointed and very disheartened after that game. Um, and then we followed that up with a comprehensive 4-0 win away to Slavia Prague on Thursday night, which uh, I don't think anyone saw us winning in, in quite that decisive and comprehensive manner. So I think we'll just talk about that 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 tie as a whole. So, Andre, what what were your thoughts about uh, about everything that, that has happened over the last week in, in Europe? Well, uh, as you know, I'm an incredibly superstitious man. Um, so, so I refused to talk or be too dismissive. I was very frustrated after the first leg. However, if you were allowed, if I were allowed to speak my mind or be someone who is bullish, I would have said there is no way we don't progress from this tie because what a poor outfit Slavia Prague are. And we can say it now with the benefit of hindsight, right? We have not looked like demolishing a team. We looked like we would in the first leg. And there, I actually think the first leg might have been one of the best things for Arteta to see because I do think, you know, how we blew that lead and what he saw from Cedric and Gabriel, actually, I know we'd spoken about this in the past, but I just thought, I think he's cracking now who he can actually trust. And 
I think that first leg told him who he really could and couldn't trust. And that's why ultimately I think he picked a team that he knew would pull them apart. Um, because I have to say, that six-minute spell was, I think, the best best phase of football we've seen in a long, long, long time. And no surprise, Smithrow and Saka at the heart of it. But I'm so thrilled we got through it. But I just have to say, you know, I really felt after leg one, there is no way we don't go there and score at least two. Um because of their quality, but also because of ours and how we look when we need to go forward. And, and for me, that's what pleased me so much. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think there's been sort of a... People have an opinion about Slavia Prague because of their reputation in terms of who they've beaten in this run. And obviously, they've beaten Leicester and they've beaten Rangers, um, being the notable ones. But I think they are a poor side. Um, we saw that across the two legs. There's no way in a million years we should have been losing to that team. There's no way in a million years we should have drawn the first game against that team. Even after a really poor performance, we had more than enough chances to probably have put the game to bed, um, the tie to bed before before the second leg anyway. So uh, I think it was always likely we were going to go there and, uh, and, and win. Um, and I was always confident we'd go there and score twice because he... Arsenal are not renowned for keeping clean sheets recently, although we have in our last two games. Um, mm. So I think you had to go there and think we probably need two goals to to ensure that that we do go through. Um, I was actually quite confident. I know when you you phoned me on the way home from uh, from work on Thursday night, and then we had a a little <laughs> conversation about the game, and obviously we were trying to alleviate each other's nerves. And I was actually quite relaxed about it and felt that. I, I, my prediction was 2-0, uh, which obviously I was miles off anyway, but in a real positive way. But I did, I, for some reason, I felt like we keep a clean sheet. And I don't think they ever looked like scoring. Um, there wasn't really anything which put us on edge and we were just dominant from start to finish. Uh, we look at, if we break it down into the two halves of the second leg, the first the first half, particularly that, as you said, that six-minute spell where we, we ripped them to shreds. It would be very easy when you've had a goal disallowed to sort of um, back off and, and maybe not have the confidence to, to to carry on and go go forward with your with your display, but we didn't. We just carried on playing. Um, Smith Rowe, fantastic for the first goal. Um, obviously, just had that goal disallowed, and then two nutmegs and a, a one for assist mm. for the for the Pepe goal. Um, but we were brilliant in the first half, and then the second half, I I felt like. We managed the game superbly. We we didn't um, take any unnecessary risks. Um, we allowed them to have the ball um, because we knew that we could deal with anything they threw at us. And we obviously got the fourth goal late on and could have, could have had a fifth through Martinelli as well. Um, but a really, really solid away performance. And uh, what I did enjoy was how many times I saw... A tweet resurfaced from Jamie O'Hara. Oh yes, said that Slavia Prague are a proper team. I don't see any way where Arsenal go through. <laughs> he he. Uh, do you know what? I could reserve. Uh, I, I don't mind Jermaine Genus. Um, I hate you, him. I hate him. <laughs> no, I, I know. Like I do. Of course, I do. But I do also think he's quite eloquent and articulate about the game. He's just the thing I can't stand about him is he has this Spurs bias, but, but for no reason. Whereas yeah. Jamie O'Hara can't speak. He is for <laughs> me. He is he is everything football should get away from that archaic, uh, thick idiot who says stupid things. Anyway, do you know what? It's not about that. Um, You're absolutely right though because he he's <laughs> on he's on like pretty much everything at the moment. So he's on Talk Sport all the time. And I, the only reason I can justify for why he's on there is because he's like this lad's lad, and he he just says things how it is. And but it, yeah. you're absolutely right that he has this archaic approach that he he doesn't understand the way football is going, and he doesn't understand where football is currently at. No, um, and he wasn't even a good player, but he's also someone who said uh, I'd done that in my career. Okay. Okay, that's not correct, Jamie. You can't say I'd done that. You say I did that. Or I have done, and I feel like someone needs to uh, talk sport. Maybe Alan Brazil can just have a... <laughs> the voice of reason. Alan Brazil <laughs> <laughs> can just have a nice word with Jamie O'Hara. Anyway, we're so far off topic. What I wanted to ask you 
is one of the things I took from, and, and this does blend the Sheffield United game as well, but one of the things I thought from the first leg was, uh, I thought was interesting, the performance of Gabrielle, who I think is our best defender. Um, however, I have to say, Holding and Pablo Marie gives us a base, a very slow base, but a base um, that just looks really assured. And I don't know if it is because of the opposition we play, because I feel like they've played, I think they may have started together against City. I can't, I can't quite fully remember, but they played a couple of big games and sure, it didn't work. But in nearly every other game, I feel more assured with those two at the back. And I don't think they're um, individually, you know, more than seven out of ten defenders. But they work really well together. I wondered whether you see as I do how much of a platform that is. Yeah, I think it's absolutely vital. Um, to For any successful team, you need to have that, that basis to, to, to build from. And I do agree with you. And I think if you listen to certain pundits and things, um, I think Martin Keown's been quite vocal about it, um, about saying that Gabrielle is, is our best defender. But there's one thing being the best defender, but it's about finding a unit that works. Mm. And we do seem to have stumbled across that. And maybe without David Luiz there... Um, the partnership that Gabrielle and David Luiz had sort of built up, maybe that that isn't quite working with Gabrielle and, and Rob Holding. And I think it's really important, but particularly for this running, that we have a consistent duo back there that can build something. So I would be so keen to stick with for as many games as possible, Rob Holding and, and Pablo Murray, mm. just, just to see what they can do. And I, I think that will give us the best foundations for success, both in the league and in the Europa League, if we can keep those two together. But I, th- I think everything you said is absolutely spot on. Yeah, and also one of the things to say that I think is interesting, what you mentioned about the unit, because I, I do think uh, it's interesting we, we demolished a team 4-0. Yeah, we're des- I'm desperate to talk to you about the defence. Because I think Xhaka at left-back, what, what I really admire about that decision from Arteta, and what I was saying about the first leg informing some decisions... I think he realised how important a left footer is, even if they're not your typical left back. Because I know when that team came out for Sheffield United, you and I said, Saka left back, yeah, makes sense. But the way he's reconfigured the team and got Xhaka there, and he's quite protected with Ceballos coming over there to cover, I think it's a real testament to Arteta in how he's done that. But it's actually on the other side I wanted to talk to you about, because... Callum Chambers is is the preferred player now, isn't he? He is, and I, I, I think you've got to... We've spoken about on the podcast before about how Hector Bellerin's time at the club appears to be to be, uh, to be numbered. Um, I don't think Cedric is ever going to be more than a squad player. Um, I think when he has played, he's done OK, um, and he's had some good games and some not-so-good games. But I think Arteta's seen now that... I, I'd be surprised in the summer if if we don't do something in the, in in the fullback areas because it's obvious we need a left back in. Um, it's quite quite clear that we probably need another right back in because if Bellerin's going to go, and you'd like to think that's an area where we can generate some funds, would you be happy with uh, Callum Chambers and Cedric as you as your two options for the whole season? I'd I'd argue probably not, but. I suppose it depends how you want to play, but I, I am I'm really enjoying Callum Chambers at the moment, and he's mm. what I like about him is he's so assured with the ball at his feet, um, and he plays some really really clever passes as well. I look at I look at the assist he got for the Saka goal, um, and it would have been a really easy ball just to clip it down the line for Saka to run onto, but he's played a sort of inside almost like a reverse pass um, inside the defender uh, the midfielder sorry um, which has then opened the space up for Saka and I think that's what Chambers gives you in that situation and uh, yeah it's, it's interesting but I think what's also interesting about the, the back four as a whole is that w- with Callum Chambers and Granit Xhaka playing as, as, as full-backs we're, we're not obviously playing with those conventional overlapping full-backs we're almost playing with the two central defenders as your base, Thomas Party just in front of those, and then Jacker and Chambers pushed on, and then that allows um, a bit more freedom for players like uh, Danny Sabias and, and Emil Smith Rowe to sort of drift around where they want. 
And I think that's <clears throat> really benefited someone like Danny Ceballos because mm. in the two games that that's happened, we've seen two marked improvements to his performances um, from the two games, uh, from previous games. So I think that's worth bearing in mind as well. Yeah, yeah. And you can go and cough now. Um, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I, I have to say, I mean, I think we'll, we'll move up the pitch, shall we? Uh, I have to say, so against Slavia Prague, I thought Thomas Partey was the midfielder we thought we'd signed. He was everywhere. He blocked everything. I mean, I, I felt the first 10 minutes we, we were actually quite poor. We really struggled to keep the ball. And I actually turned to Kel and I went, oh, this doesn't... What do you think? And she went, we just can't keep the ball. I was like, it's a very good point, Kelly. Well done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you really could see that we really struggled in possession, but we were kept winning it back through party, kept winning it back, kept winning it back, and then bang, 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 we get up the pitch to where our talent is, and eventually we make it count. But I felt he was absolutely excellent, and, and I'm hoping now that he can get through 90 minutes and should be the player we need him to be. It doesn't matter what he's done. If he becomes the player we thought we were having at the base of that midfield, we'll be flying. But I just think what Arteta has done in formation and clearly in man management with Ceballos, because I'm sitting there watching those last two games and I go, how can we not, if he's available for 15, 20 million, why wouldn't you buy this player? You know, yeah. and, and yet the last time we did a podcast, I don't want to talk out the other side of my face, we were going, well, there's no way we'd sign Danny Ceballos. Yet, Three games later, he looks like a precocious talent in midfield. And he's always been so good on the ball. That's what was so surprising about the Liverpool game. He looked dead on his feet. And now he's flicking it round the corner. It's every touch is perfect. He's releasing it quickly. He's playing lovely balls down the line. He's covering across that left-hand side to help out Xhaka. And you go, bloody hell. What a great player. <laughs> and sure, he's not the perfect midfielder, but he can play in games like this, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, there's definitely a, a case to be made about um, his role in the squad um, because obviously he can come into these games against these lesser teams and produce a performance. And he's fantastic to watch. I'll go back to the Sheffield United game. The first half particularly, he was absolutely superb. And he was mm. absolutely everywhere. And I think a big part of that is the role that Thomas Partey is being asked to play now because he's not being asked to play that that dominant box-to-box role, which physically I'm not sure he can do. I th- mm. I'm not sure that he's up to doing that job. And by doing what we've done the last few games, by going, OK, you know what? Sit, sit in front of the back four, do the protecting and, and allow us to build um, attacks from there. It just gives that that flexibility to the rest of the team and that that stability at the back, knowing that you've got Thomas Partey, Rob Holding and Pablo Mari not really going anywhere. You, you know you've got those three players, plus Granit Xhaka and, and Callum Chambers being relatively deep as well. It, it makes it so much easier for the rest of the team to, to do what they need to do. So, yeah, yeah, really promising. And now we're starting to see what we want to see from Thomas Partey. We're starting to see what we need from Danny Ceballos. So, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, heading in the right direction. But this is, this is football, isn't it? This is football. Because, like, as you say, last time we recorded a podcast, we were so down. And listening <laughs> back to it, you can just hear it in the tone of our voices. You can, you can hear that we're not particularly happy about having to talk about this stuff. And then this one is just like, right, everything's brilliant. We're going to win the league next year. We're going to win the Champions League when we're back in it after winning the Europa. Um, it's just, this is, this is the life of a football fan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, but all I can say, all I can say is that I think the way you described how our base is now set is massively important because we have looked leaky, but we have to talk about this team going forward, because Smithrow, Saka, Pepe, um, Alex Lacazette, Gabriel Martinelli chuck in there. I mean, we suddenly look like a team that you'd hate to play. Solid, Solid at the back and a nightmare up front. And this is why I've been clamoring, clamoring for Nicola Pepe to play, right? Because... 
I thought against Sheffield United, he was excellent. And Saka in the 10, the way he combined, was brilliant. But then Pepe can go to the left and be just as threatening. And this player has so much skill. And I think we, we particularly British fans, we fall into the trap of, you know, and Arteta, I, I don't know if you saw an interview with Arteta yesterday where he was saying Pepe's realised the attitude he needs to bring. And okay, great, that's fantastic. But if you play Nicola Pepe every game this season, he he will have done something in nearly every game. Yeah. You know, 80% of games, let's say. And I look at him, I look at Saka, and I look at Smith Rowe, and I think, my goodness, it doesn't matter whether it's Aubameyang, it doesn't matter whether it's Lacazette, but as long as two of those three, I outlined, but are on the pitch... We're going to create chances and be ultra-threatening to nearly every single team. And that is a million miles away from where we've been this season. If you've got that base that can find those passes through midfield quickly, and what the great thing I like about this is we don't funnel everything wide like we were earlier in the season. You know, we were getting Pepe and Saka on the very touchline and saying, beat three players and then whip it in onto a Bamiang or Lacazette's head, please. And that's what we need. And now... The key in football is when you get your better players closer together so they can actually combine. Because I think Lacazette is brilliant at this. We saw it for the first goal against Sheffield United. But our distances have been so far apart. Um, but now we're, we're seeing, and I think Smith Rowe's been brilliant at this, but the way we get our players closer together, one-twos, round the corner. How many times do you see it? Pepe on the right or the left, cutting in, and a, the player runs across his man and sets it. And then the whole pitch opens up, and they can either spin it wide, reverse it back to the player who's just played it to them. And these combinations are so exciting and create chaos. And we have lacked chaos. We've been so structured and rigid. And I think that's what I'm hoping, is that we'll see that time and time again. I really think Arteta's got to wake up to the fact that it's Lacazette and he is your player who doesn't have pace in that front four and doesn't move as much, or Willian, but never both. Yeah. You cannot have two players who don't move. And that's, I make it sound like that's a criticism of Lacazette or Willian, well, it is of Willian, but with Lacazette, that's not his game. And actually, when you see runners sprinting on behind him, that's always when he's been at his best. It's when he was at his best when Ramsey um, was bursting through from midfield and Ozil there. He looks a player transformed. But I think it's in part to having those three superb players in and around him. Yeah, I think we need to... Uh, I, what I think is really important as well is obviously... I'm just going to touch on um, Aubameyang quickly. Um, bring him into that conversation because obviously we did see the news that he um, contracted malaria whilst he was on international duty, which I think explains probably why he didn't start the first mm. leg um, and certainly explains why he's been absent for the last two games. Um, so obviously we do wish him all the best with his, with his recovery. Um, but I think there is a real conversation to be had now about the merit of having Aubameyang in our starting eleven. Because for so many of our performances that we've been pleased with this season, they've come when he's not been playing, or cer certainly not when he's been on the left-hand side of, of our, our attack. And I think you have to uh, accept that he he does not make us a better team by being uh, certainly being on the left. And I question whether he's a better option down the middle than Lacazette as well, because Lacazette is that link player who... Um, he's, he's performing really well at the moment, but he's the guy that kind of knits everything together. And I know Arteta alluded to that in, in his post-match press conference um, after the Slavia Prague game. And he said that Lacazette is that link player and the, knit, the, the guy that knits everything together. But I think Aubameyang, he needs to re-establish re his role within this side because at the moment, I'm not sure what it is personally. The only the only thing I I agree, and I'm not going to argue with you uh, or Mikel Arteta, but Aubameyang hasn't played in a front three when he's the middleman and it's Saka and Pepe, yeah, with Smith Rowe behind. That hasn't happened enough, and I felt really when that point. started to happen, we because also if if you look at right Lacazette scored two, he's not involved in the first goal at all. 
you know, he's in the box, but Bamiyang be in the box. Um, he doesn't play a pass in that move. I, I, I might be wrong, but I don't think he does. He doesn't really play a, a part in the goal that Smith throws scores that's disallowed. He doesn't play a role in the penalty, other than, of course, scoring it. I'm talking about winning it. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't... For me, it's goal threat. I, I mean, I, I'll just say this. I actually would rather Lacazette plays until he looks like the Lacazette that's carrying a caravan behind him. <laughs> yes, and we all know that that does happen. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's why. That's why. I mean, I mean I'm I'm wondering whether he's going to play Eddie tomorrow, um, just to give Lacazette minutes. But it depends on when Abamyang's back. But again, I think. Oh, I, I think what Arteta's realised, and I, I hope he has, is it's one or the other. And I'm actually more. I'm not that fussed about which one it is, which is yeah. probably more of a slight on Aubameyang. But I'm looking at Lacazette and I'm looking at, this is the best version of Lacazette. And I love this version of Lacazette. Uh, of course, um, Arsenal put out a compilation, I think maybe today or yesterday, of all 50 of his Premier League goals. Um, and what you notice is that, of course, you and I are the sorts of people of this ridiculous memory that can see when his one goal was compared to another. Like as in the length of time, even in every season, and he just goes through patches of looking poor. But when he's hot, you got to keep playing him. And yeah. I actually think it's probably great that Abamyang, if he's two weeks away, ready for the first leg, perhaps keep playing Lacazette. He'll bang it in, but eventually he'll look like he's like I said, he's carrying a, a tugboat. So, um, I don't think it's as important as we might think it is is what I'm trying to say. I just think it's about getting Pepe, Saka, Smith-Rowe or Martinelli on the pitch. Any sort of three of those four, I'm very happy with. And I think Aubameyang and Lacazette matters less than we think. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a very good argument for, for that case. And obviously, obviously, you want Aubameyang back. You want him in your squad at the very least. Um, to give you that option, but I just I I think the main conversation is that he cannot play on the left because we've seen the last two games when we've had Pepe on the left on on Thursday night and on Sunday against uh, Sheffield United we had Gabriel Martinelli play and just having that pace and that directness and that that trickery as well it just gives you so much extra um, within mm. the side that Aubameyang yeah. just doesn't give you um, and I I just like you said, I really hope Arteta has learned that it's one or the other in terms of Aubameyang and Lacazette. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see why it's taken him so long, by the way, to make that call. Because you only have to go back to the FA Cup final and yeah. those, some of those performances to see why it's suddenly broken. Okay, and that's the thing is, you know, it did work, but it's now not working. And it's almost... Uh, you know, we've, we've discussed that that comes in the back, you know, with the back three, for example. But one of the things I wanted to ask you as well, just, and again, sort of rolling in the Sheffield United game. Do you think it is simply the lack of fans or do you think it's something else entirely that we look so much better away from home than we do at home? Because actually, if you take that the points tally is similar. Um, if you actually look at it in the Premier League. But I just think we look a much, much better team away from home at the minute. Yeah, I think we do, and uh, I think the fact the the fans factor is certainly uh, an element to that. But I I think a lot of it comes down to I, I I suppose a lack of pressure away from home because obviously when you do play away from home, you the, the expectation isn't as much on you, and I I think there is an acceptance that quite often the the home side will have more possession and they'll be pressing a bit more and, you, and you've got a bit more f f of liberty to, to play on the counter-attack. Whereas when we play at home, I think we, we feel like we have to dominate games or try to dominate games. And I, I'm, I'm not sure this team is set up in a way to do that. Mm. Um, so that would probably be my argument with, with that. Um, but it is it is something that's concerning, and hopefully, when fans are back, it kind of changes the dynamic of it again. Um, but certainly, that that is something which I've noticed as well that we we don't carry that same sort of potency that we do away from home. It seems, and you only have to look at um, what is it the la the last five games we've scored three or more goals away from home. Um, mm. And I think the last time that that happened, didn't it say it was something like 1932 or something? <laughs> something oh, stupid. Tom, I had this as a question for you. Yes, that's right. Okay. Was, well, was that right? <laughs> yes, that's correct. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a long, long, long time since that has happened. But it uh, just goes to show that we can score goals. We can do it away from home. But now it's about making sure we get that consistency at home as well. Mm. Yeah, and actually, um, yeah, completely, completely. And, and I think the one, the one thing I'd like to add, because I think we kind of covered it from the Sheffield United game, is uh, I predicted them at the start of the season to go down. Do you think they're one of the worst teams we've played this season? Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a team worse. I think they're awful. Um, what I would say is when we played them at the Emirates, um, they gave us a game because we, I, I, again, I think it's our home form that, that caused that issue. But when we played them at home, they, they, they gave us a scare. And although we went 2-0 up for a long time, it looked like we were going to struggle to break through. And then obviously when they did get the late goal to make it 2-1, we then looked all over the place um, as we tried to cling on. But looking at them on Sunday, they looked like a broken team. Um, obviously... Throughout the season, they've uh, they've lost their manager as well, but they just they don't look like they certainly don't look like a Premier League side. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd say they're up there with the worst team we've played this season and the worst team we've played in a while in the league. So as much as it was nice to get a three 0 away win, um, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it's very difficult to take too much away from a game against a team that bad. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And one of the other things I wanted to just talk about, because I wanted to, to segue into the Premier League, um, is if we win our next two games after the result yesterday, so our next two games, Fulham at home and then Everton at home, and if we win those two, we are seventh. And we don't... But And this is something I wanted to... I know we text about this, but just for the listeners and to everyone to confirm. If we come seventh and we finish above Tottenham, I believe we want them to win the League Cup so a Europa space goes to seventh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. I was doing some reading. So, because you know there's this bizarre thing where if um, Chelsea win which this isn't even bear thinking about, but if Chelsea win the Champions League yeah. and we win the Europa and we're both outside the top four, whoever finishes fourth doesn't get it. Yeah. Well, that would be funny if it's West Ham. Um, it would be even funny if it's Brendan Rodgers, but it'd be really funny if it was Klopp. Um, but then I, I don't really want to countenance Chelsea winning the Champions League again. It still makes me feel sick. Um, but I just think if we can get two league wins in the next game, I actually think it takes the pressure out the Europa. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, how are you feeling about that tie and seeing uh, good evening? I'm, I, I, I texted you the other night and said that it was poetic because obviously Villarreal in the semi-final um, obviously brings back memories of 2006. Um, the return of Unai Emery, uh, which... I think as, as much as people have been mocking him, I think it's uh, it's worth noting that his issue at Arsenal was never winning. Oh, no, it wasn't him. Yeah, well, his issue was never winning Europa League games over two legs, was it? Um, he managed to do that during his time at Arsenal and got us through to um, a final. And, it, and obviously that was disastrous then, but uh, that was never the issue. Um, so they will be a dangerous proposition, and you only have to look at his record in the semi-finals of uh, of the Europa League. And I think he's only lost once when he was at Valencia. Um, obviously, he's won the competition three times with with Sevilla. Um, got to a final with Arsenal, so he's got a very good record. And obviously, I think Villarreal are seventh in La Liga, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so. It will be a difficult game, but it's one that you you look at over two legs, and particularly I I, I always prefer it when we get the away leg first, because um, then you kind of know what you you need to do. But obviously <laughs> that mm. does kind of go against what we've just said about our home form. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. But I'm I'm looking forward to it, um, and I, I I don't want to say I'm confident, but I I'm feeling quite optimistic about it. What about you? Francis Coquelin, my friend. Francis. I forgot he was there. I forgot he was there. <laughs> um, they are an interesting side. So they've got a striker, Gerard Moreno, uh, which it, it translates to Jerry Brown. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but go on, Jerry Brown. 
Jerry, Jerry has scored a lot of goals this season, um, which is worrying. Look, it's like everything. This is like you just said. This is football. We are on a high. Everything feels so much better. I am dreading facing a former manager because it's the first time in my life and yours, actually. Uh, I know we played George Graham, yeah. uh, but you and I probably didn't understand the um, how big that was at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I don't think it quite works like that. Um, this is the first time, really, we faced a former manager and uh, that unknown I hate. And also... You know, one thing about Emery is he was very tactically astute um, until he wasn't at Arsenal. I think I bizarrely said it wasn't his fault. It, a lot of it was, but a lot yeah. of that was communication. But that's uh, less of an issue in, in his mother tongue. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking for, I, I have to say, I mean, just a nod as people who go to so many games. I've been to Villarreal away. I didn't go to the Raquel May penalty. I, I was at the Adebayor overhead kick. It's two hours up the road from where I live in Spain. I'd have given my left arm to go to Prague and be there for that 4-0. I'd love to be at El Madrigal next uh, in two weeks Thursday. I just, what, God, what I'd give to have it all back. And also, do you know, I can't stop thinking about a season without Europe and how sad it would be. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just, come on, boys. You can do it. You can do it. And I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm looking at the other side of that tie and I'm praying Henrik Mkhitaryan haunts Man United because I just don't want to play another English club in this final if we do get there. I just I just don't. I can't take it. We need to get back in. Oh, God, the tension. I'm making myself tense just thinking about it, Tom. We just need yeah, this so badly. <laughs> we just need this so badly as a club. It's like, it's, it's, it's mad, but... Um, it, it would crossed. completely transform uh, the trajectory of this club for the mm-hmm. short uh, for the for the next few years. It would completely change it if we could get back into the Champions League and have that additional revenue um, and win another trophy. Uh, it would completely transform where we're going. And in terms of signings, it would make us a lot more appealing being a Champions League side. Um, it, it's it's massive. These three games in the Europa League are absolutely enormous um, for our, our success. Um, and then we'll just have to see what happens. But obviously, it, it, each game, we, we said this, and I said it to you on Thursday, that we've said so many times this season, this is the biggest game of the season. This is the biggest game of the season. <laughs> and the, the Villarreal games are the biggest games of the season. And then yeah. if we get past there, the final is the biggest game of the season because of what is at stake. Um, mm-hmm. okay, we want to win our league games. We want to finish as high as we can in the league. And with our running, we do have some favourable games. But it's all about the Europa. It, it's been all about the Europa for a long time now. Um, and everything has to be prioritised towards that because what we're doing in the league is, as you said earlier, we don't really know what that what positions would mean that we get into Europe and obviously at the moment we sit ninth um, big game against, uh, well I say big game against Fulham but it, it, it is a big game to try and keep that momentum going um, and try and see where we can we can push the teams above us because obviously with Tottenham and Everton drawing last night, that opens up that that area for us to, to close the gap um, we can close the gap to was it two points behind Tottenham and one behind Everton? Um, mm-hmm. Albeit Everton will have a game in hand. Um, so it's it's very congested. And with seven games to go, it, it does make a big difference um, just winning those games. But I am as apprehensive and as nervous as you heading into the run-in. <laughs> but, mm. uh, it, and it does make it worse. It makes it worse that we can't be there. If we could be at these games... Um, I, I always feel I feel nervous when I'm at, physically at games, but I can always sort of get by that because you can share it with others that are around you and you can talk about it. Whereas when you're watching in your living room, it's not quite the same. But uh, it's not. No. Yeah, well, Tom, all it leaves us on. to say is we're on our way. We're on our way. We're going to Gdansk. We're on we're our on way. way. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Magnificent. Do you know, at some point as well, we've got to come up with um, 
I'll I'll bring some chance to the to the table um, because Saka doesn't have one. Although I do Saka, think is the, the Radio Gaga Bakayo Saka has a has a lot going for it. That has a lot legs, going that. for it. <laughs> it does have legs. We need a party song, but there's so many it's scary. But Emil Smith Rowe is going to need a song. Um, but yeah, look, uh, one final point just on players, and I think this is a real. Isn't it amazing now that you can't picture where Martin Odegaard <laughs> fits in this team? Yet after that West Ham game, it was give him 150 million, whatever Real Madrid want, we take him. It's amazing, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's just it's the life of a football fan that we spoke about earlier. It's just uh, things change so so quickly, um, and the dynamics of a team change so quickly. This is why Arteta's role at the club is so not enviable at all, because he's the one that has to figure out these these things, and he has to work out the solutions. And I still think, uh, obviously, we both both would agree that Martin Odegaard, if we could get him permanently, would be a really really good signing. Mm. Um, but the last couple of games, we've looked like we've found a solution. Obviously, with Bukayo Saka playing centrally at Sheffield United and obviously Emil Smith-Rowe um, on Thursday night. We've got two fantastic young kids that have come through our academy. And I think that's a really wonderful note to end on that it's so exciting to have players coming through our academy and being proper Arsenal boys. Um Obviously, we're hoping the next one on the conveyor belt is um, Flo Balogun, um, mm. which obviously we haven't touched on, but it looks like he's about to sign a new contract. Um, but he's another one which we really hope can make that step up because it just it saves us so many decisions that have to be made in terms of bringing people in. It saves us money. Um, and as fans, we just love seeing local boys or... Um, kids that have come through the academy make it at Arsenal Football Club. So, fingers crossed he's another one that does. Europa League final winner, incoming. Imagine, imagine the scenes. <laughs> I can't. I can. Oh, magnificent. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening as always. And if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram by searching for theboysinredandwhite.com. And we're... No, that's that's wrong. I, I've just I've just done the website. Is it wrong? I? I've just done the website. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Okay. No what, what I mean to say <laughs> is that we have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com, and that if you'd like to see us on social media, you can search for us by searching mm. for the boys in red and white. So we got there in the end. Uh, Andre, thank you very much for your time. As always, it's been uh, a pleasure, absolute joy, and, and just to confirm, all we need. Is Bukayo Saka. <laughs> Thank you, and we'll be back next week with another podcast. 